Welcome back to the Missouri Chamber of Capital Chat. This is your host, Philip Arnson, and I've got a special guest today, uh, Representative Aaron Crossley. And then we also have Heidi Geisbuehler Sutherland. Hey, everybody. And also my other colleague, Kara Porches. Hey. So, Representative, thank you for joining us. This is your first year in the legislature, and this is kind of continuing our series of getting to know uh, our legislators and some of our business champions that we have down in Jefferson City. So, Representative, just kind of tell the audience a little bit about where you're from and a little bit of your background and what got you, you know, inspired to uh, to run for state representative. Absolutely. And first of all, thank you for having me on here. And thank you for the work that you do in the Capitol to stand up for businesses every day. And I'm really grateful that you're continuing the conversation over the summer and happy to, to jump on and join. Uh, I represent, again, Southern Independence. My wife and I have lived in Independence since we got married in 2006, grew up in the summit. Uh, we kind of accidentally ended up in, in Independence. We bought our starter home there and uh, remodeled that and sold it for a profit, thankfully. And then we decided that Independence had treated us well, so decided to, to stay there. Uh, I've really spent all of my career, so about the last two decades, in social service. I started off working straight out of college in a uh, public school down in the Ray Pack District, worked as a behavior interventionist. I was a pastor for a while, even uh, was a missionary for a while in Panama and worked in a, a small Christian school there, also as a behavior interventionist. And really that experience of, of working with kids and families in my community is what cemented my commitment to continue in social service. So uh, eventually landed at a hospital here in downtown Kansas City and uh, never, never looked back. I work in behavioral health. I'm a licensed master social worker. I work full-time outside of sessions, so on Fridays during session and all during interim this summer, I have been uh, working the normal nine to five at, uh, at my, uh, what I call my day job. You know, and I think that's why I ran, interacting and engaging with people in my community and hearing what they needed and also seeing the barriers that they, that they confronted. And I realized that those barriers were created by people in places like Jefferson City who didn't always understand the full picture of what people were going through. And so I ran to be the voice of people that I had served in the last two decades and wanted to, to bring sometimes forgotten voices that, that aren't always heard into a place of power to help make decisions that would best impact my community. Well, it's definitely a good background, and it's good to have folks with experience in the communities in the capital and uh, helping to being that decision-making process for policy. So, you know, you'd mentioned wanting to help people and, you know, in your job, you interact with, I'm assuming, you know, folks in your district and out of your district, and, you know, what we've heard from a lot of representatives as far as issues on the ground is issues with things like childcare yeah. is being one of those barriers for whether it's workforce or whether it's being able to kind of have upward mobility um, or be able to kind of have freedom to to do what they want. Have you heard that from any of the folks or kind of what's your perspective on the child care issue that we have going on? Absolutely. And I think the need for kind of a reform around child care has been highlighted by the pandemic as we're kind of coming out of the pandemic now and kind of seeing what is left around the world. We recognize that a lot of people uh, don't have access to the type of child care that they need to be able to either get back away from remote work back to the office as lots of companies are calling folks back 
And, you know, it's an issue that I take personally. I have two kids myself. Uh, my wife and I have a 15-year-old and a 13-year-old. And so thankfully, they're at a stage where they can take care of themselves a little bit more. But there are still lots of days where, gratefully, as a family, we, you know, I have parents that can come pick them up and get them to where they need to be while we're still at our job. But not every family has that. And so access to affordable childcare isn't just a family issue. It's also an economic issue. And I think as a representative, I've certainly heard that it's an issue that people have um, in accessing. And, you know, when people can't get the childcare that they need, what they've, what they've expressed to me is that, you know, they turn down a promotion that might change their schedule, or they might have to leave the workforce because they are losing more money in paying for childcare than they are in, in making it. And if we want a thriving community, if we want thriving economy, it's important that people have, have a place for their kids during the workday. It's a much better prospect of having a place for kids to go during the day that is safe with trained professionals, rather than a situation where maybe, you know, they're sitting in front of a, a screen all day. And uh, I don't know about you, but I am getting to my mid-40s, and in my mid-40s, I'm starting to look toward the future a bit more. I know that I only have a couple of decades left in the workforce. And so I also think about, you know, what is the workforce that I'm leaving behind as I get to my retirement years? And I think about my own kids and their ability to prosper after I'm outside of the workforce. And I don't think that childcare should ever be a barrier to advancement. And truly, it's an investment in our in our workforce and in our future. I'm so glad you said that. And two things that you specifically mentioned that I think people haven't really brought up as much in the child care debate is that people forgo promotions because of lack of child care availability or the hours. If it's a job that they may have to travel or again, just different hours. I know there's some research in our report that shows that, that that's also another facet to this. So when we want people to have career mobility and move up and earn more income, it's not just leaving the workforce, it's it's missing out on other opportunities to grow within your own company. And then the other thing you brought up that I think is also an important point is trained professionals in these facilities. A lot of people think this is just babysitting and <laughs> childcare is not just babysitting. They are doing curriculum, they are teaching kids, you know, a lot of different life skills in these facilities. And so I think we need to have a lot of respect for the childcare workers because they're doing really, really great work. And like you said, training our future workforce. Isn't it great that our kids are going to already go into kindergarten knowing their ABCs and how to do basic math, how much more ahead they will be versus just sitting in front of a TV all day? No, that's, that's absolutely right. And another point that I would want to make that I think has been made by the previous guests uh, on your show is during the pandemic, uh, you know, in a lot of uh, two-parent households, it was often the, the mom that decided to leave the workforce to, to, to go home with their kids. And so we're also losing out on an important perspective uh, of women in the workforce as well. And so I think it's a way to make sure that both parents who want to work and clearly are prioritizing their kids first, you know, they want to make sure that their kids have a safe place to be that we can help them find a place and that men and women can find that that upward mobility too. It is great because it is men and women, it's parents that that are faced yeah. with these childcare problems. A lot of times you'll just hear 
it's a, it's a women's issue and it's not just a women's issue. It's a working right. parent issue. And like you said, an economic issue that is really holding our state back from growing in a lot of ways because there's not enough childcare to allow people to go to work. Yeah. And you'd also mentioned a little bit um, there towards the end about, you know, looking at the next generation, looking at, you know, your kids that are either in high school or close to high school, and which means they've got to start thinking about their future and careers and that sort of thing. What's your take on what we have done well, at least from your perspective in Missouri on workforce, and then what we need to be doing moving forward to really help, you know, our economy and help train our the next generation to come into the workforce, whether it's manufacturing or whether it's social work or healthcare. Kind of what's your thought on that? Well, I think again, it starts with education, making sure that we are funding education at an adequate level to train our children that our education system is robust. We know that people move to communities for their uh, public school system, for the schools that are available to their children. And I think we run the risk of losing people to the coast if we aren't really looking at funding our education system well. So that means also, of course, means that we are paying teachers well, that teachers are trained well, and that kids have good classrooms to go to school in and, and are learning learning their profession on the job. One thing that I love that the independent school district has done, they've created academies for their students in high school to go to. So they can almost pick a career track after their freshman year. And many students can graduate then with certifications or qualifications in different different professions, such as the healthcare profession, which is needed desperately across the state, especially in our rural areas. And so I think Funding our education system while continuing to invest in programs like Fast Track and Missouri One, and then also emphasizing on the job training. As a social worker at the bachelor's level and master's level, we have to do a practicum of one to two years to make sure that we are on site learning the tricks of the trade. My wife is a funeral director, and the same thing she had to do an apprenticeship, it wasn't just going to school. So I think incentivizing education, but also incentivizing on-the-job training so that people can be skilled up is just so important because sometimes when we think about education systems or standardized testing, sometimes those tests leave people out. In social work, a big topic right now is exploring even how licensure can change to make sure that, especially people that are older, that might have a couple decades of experience in social service, but don't have the training and social work and decide they want to go back to school and make more money. And then they get to that licensure test and find difficulty in passing it. We are cutting out a lot of practice wisdom and just life wisdom when we are so rigid in how we, how we define what qualifies someone for a job. So I think exploring that on the job, real life experience is something that we need to, to look at if we want to make sure that our business community and our economy are thriving. You know, that's good to hear because we do focus quite a bit on apprenticeships. The chamber does actually administer a grant program for apprenticeships for the U.S. Department of Labor. And I would say traditionally, a lot of folks view those as just being in like manufacturing or the trades. When apprenticeships are really, they go a lot further than just, just as typical kind of trades things like social work, you know, education related fields also have, have a big uptake in apprenticeships. So that's good to hear that you've seen that in your career, kind of in your field. Absolutely. I mean, 
you know, there's so many scenarios that you can't put into a textbook or explain in a semester long course that you are going to encounter when you go on the job. And so I think it takes both. We've done a disservice in only emphasizing four year college degrees. I think it's a four year college degree and or uh, apprenticeship, whatever makes sense for it, for the industry and for the people that are yep. looking to fill those jobs. I'm sure being a state representative, everything you've encountered in your first year, you can get in a few chapters of a textbook. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I would endeavor to write that book. I think that it would uh, be several <laughs> volumes. Some things would probably just be left unsaid. Every session in the Capitol, I learned multiple things every year, uh, very new, and you learn a lot about people as well. So, yeah, people are fascinating uh, creatures and they always have a lot to teach us. I should add, Philip, that uh, Representative Crossley is one of our business champions, which is a list of legislators who receive a vote rating of over 70% with the chamber on a variety of different business issues, workforce development, economic development, our position is opposing mandates on businesses. And we've had this series, and I think we've had two Republicans on, and Representative Crossley is a Democrat. And I think it's great to see a lot of these business issues, they transcend party lines. Workforce development should not be an issue that just Republicans or Democrats should care about. Both parties should care about because it ultimately helps Missouri and its residents and businesses to prosper. You know, you've had a big focus on economic development, workforce development in your community and the state and just how things aren't always so through party divides in the capital that you found a way, I think, to work really well across the aisle. Thank you. That's, that's good to hear that uh, other people have another that. Thank you. I absolutely 100% agree. In independence, my district is 48% Democrat, 48% Republican, and 4% Independent. And so the number one thing that I heard as I went through my district twice, door to door, had very little to do with, you know, stand up for Republican ideals, stand up for Democrat ideals, stand up for uh, a very, you know, specific niche uh, platform. The number one thing that people wanted me to go to Just City to do was to get things done and not to fight and to do things that, that make common sense. And so we're used to doing that in my district. We have neighbors to the left and right of us that have very different ideas. And so we're used to having conversations and uh, discussing different ideas. And I think as a whole across the political spectrum, we've forgotten how to have conversations and to debate policies and to find compromise and ways to live together. But I think that that's what representative government is and should be about. Think of the $3 billion, almost $3 billion of funding for I-70. There are people across the political spectrum that are going to be driving across the newly expanded interstate across the state. And people just want to get from point A to point B. They're not thinking about what party did this or that. They're just thinking about, uh, you know, the shocks on their car and if their car is going to get there safely or, you know, if a family of four could fit inside of that pothole that they just uh, drove over. And so I think things like infrastructure and childcare and workforce development um, are great things for us to be able to focus on. And unfortunately, I think a lot of times in, in the capital, what takes a lot of oxygen are those kind of niche culture war issues that most people sitting around the dinner table across Missouri don't really give a rip about. They just want us to get stuff done. And so I think this year I have focused on, you know, public safety and on healthcare, which is my bailiwick, of course, but also workforce development, just making sure that our kids have good places to go to school. And uh, other than that, I'm going to leave the partisan fighting to someone else.
the legislators we've had on the podcast so far, kind of a, a common theme has been they're going to focus on like the real issues and the issues that you just every that every day you run into, like I-70 and in infrastructure or education or workforce development. And it's awesome yeah. to hear that you, you've got a good focus on that. And, you know, you're down here to do good things and actually kind of move the state in a positive direction. You know, when you go back, when you knock doors for your campaigns, is that what what's resonating in your district? Absolutely. All of those issues are things that people reach out to share their concerns about via email, on the phone. You know, my cell phone's on my campaign website, so people like to text me their ideas, and very little partisan fodder comes uh, through those means. All of it has to do with things that impact impact people on their day-to-day living. And, you know, it's just been such a privilege to learn that there are colleagues on both sides of the aisle that we can work toward achieving real real results for all of our districts and for our state. You're always going to have those people that are on the sides and on the margins shouting at each other. But I have been so encouraged to learn that there are so many of us in the Capitol that are just wanting to get, get stuff done. And even though we had the lowest amount of bills passed in Missouri's recorded history, at least what I could find outside of COVID this year, we still got a lot of bills across the finish line because there are still those of us who want to work together to find and advocate for issues that matter the most to our constituents. Yeah, so speaking on kind of advocating for your constituents, so you mentioned the $3 billion for I-70. There's quite a bit of other infrastructure money in the budget. And I know one of the areas that you're really passionate about is railway and particularly the Amtrak. I know, I believe you posted on Twitter before, you taking the train <laughs> to from Kansas City to Jefferson City. What's your thoughts on the future of kind of Amtrak and that River Runner line going between St. Louis and Kansas City? Well, I am stoked about it. And yes, you are correct. I've probably shamelessly too much posted about riding the train on Twitter and other social media platforms. And, you know, when when people think about infrastructure, they tend to think about highways and bridges, which I think are absolutely important to invest in right now, especially as we have uh, excess cash on hand, because I don't believe that that will always be the case. So I think we need to make those historic investments in our roads and bridges uh, and also in our, our rivers and ports. I don't want to leave those out either. I think those are important investments to make. Uh, but I think I think rail is a great way to also, frankly, to impact our workforce in a really great way. A lot of people go between Kansas City and St. Louis already for, for work uh, or for conferences or even for tourism. And currently that goes twice a day. Honestly, that's one reason why I really love riding the train is uh, not only can I get up and stretch my legs, I don't have to stop to, to get my, my biscuit at the travel stop on the highway. I can get a snack at the cafe car, and I don't have to miss out on any time down to Jeff City. Uh, but I also really enjoy that it is supporting workers that are on the trains and are getting a paycheck that way. This is not a podcast sponsored by Amtrak. Representative Chris, <laughs> I just really love that much. It's all the deets about it. It, it is just you know, my heart's passion. I believe two years ago, the Missouri Chamber and then a lot of the local chambers were very supportive in the legislature for adding, bringing back that second train. It's really good, as you said, for workers. It's beautiful getting to see the state. And then also it's really helpful for a lot of those communities along the railroad that otherwise yep. probably wouldn't see as much as much tourist activity or economic activity. You're 100% right. 
you know, while you're down in Jefferson City for presumably seven more years, what would be, you know, your goals that you're wanting to accomplish while you're down there? Absolutely. Again, I mentioned public safety earlier, and the first bill that I pre-filed was uh, related to first responders. So making sure that first responders have uh, the mental health care resources that, that they need and are equipped for uh, the hard job that they have so graciously signed up to do for us and our community. And uh, so my first bill would have, it required insurance companies to cover PTSD as uh, a workman's comp claim. Uh, thankfully, even though it wasn't my bill that got across the finish line, there was a version of that bill that, that passed this year. And so that, that feels like a success since that was my kind of what I went into Jeff City first thing to do. I also had a bill that, gratefully, as a freshman that actually passed the house, it was to cut down on the theft of catalytic converters. Huge problem across Missouri. I partnered with Representative Don Mayhew from Pulaski County, just a couple counties south of Jeff City. And uh, he and I were able to get that bill out of the house. Uh, unfortunately, as many things did this session, it died in the Senate, but we've already been in communication over the summer and plan on going full steam ahead next session with that bill. Also, I would really love to look at ways that we can address homelessness in our communities. I think it's, an, it's a complicated issue, but it's an issue that I have experience with. I used to work in homeless outreach here at the hospital where I work, and so I would go out to homeless camps and help connect people to services. So I know what it takes to address homelessness, and I want to see if we can find affordable housing solutions for folks. Um, because, again, you can't go to work if you don't have a house. And so making sure that people have a place to live so that they can get back up on their feet and contribute to our communities is really important to me. And beyond that, I want to make sure that we are opening up access to health care for people. The more that people are sick and, and have to stay off the job, the, the less money that they are making and the less they're able to contribute. So I want to make sure that they have adequate access to health care and to mental health care. That is so encouraging to hear you say that because one of the big priorities of the chamber that's relatively new to our legislative priorities is expanding <laughs> access to healthcare. And exactly like you said, healthy workers are a lot better for business and they're just a lot better to be around. Yeah. And you always want your workforce to be happy and have access to whether it's seeing a nurse for a strep test or whether it's seeing a specialist for more advanced healthcare services. We know healthcare is really, really difficult to access in the state right now because they also have a workforce shortage. That's great to hear. I'm, I'm happy to have another partner in that endeavor. You know, we know through research and just through common sense that it costs taxpayers more the more that people have to access emergency rooms, especially when they don't have health insurance. And of course, you know, I'm a, I'm a squishy hearted social worker, so I care about how that impacts a person, but it also impacts the state coffers as well. And, so I think the more that we can address that, the more we all win. And it's not just for squishy-hearted social workers. Businesses <laughs> also benefit from lower health care costs. So exactly Absolutely. Okay. I'm glad we found the Venn diagram of agreement there. <laughs> well, dude, it's also good to hear that you're not filing bills to get headlines. You're not filing bills just to make a point. All of those are things that they're, I guess, kind of in the weeds where most voters aren't won't necessarily ask about something that specific, but are very important and are really impactful. But, you know, right. you're not going out there to get, to get a bunch of attention or get a bunch of retweets or likes. You know, we've tried to tell our listeners that a lot of what goes on in Jefferson City, it really is people working together and, you know, across the aisle, uh, trying to get things done, because those are the issues that do really matter. 
And sometimes we're just all in the trenches together. <laughs> that is true. I, you know, you guys are a fearless team and as upbeat and positive as you usually are and sound today, uh, there have been times where I have seen you, uh, you know, take one to the chin and sulk a little bit, but you always are ready to get back in and fight for the, the well-being of all of our communities and for especially the business community. Well, we appreciate the kind words. Do you have anything else you'd like to add, Representative, you know, as we wrap up here? Truly, thank you for the opportunity to share in this conversation. When I when I look at the other business champions on the list that you guys put out, like you said, by and large, they are just a great group of people to work with. I think that our state is strongest when we are giving the business community what they say that they need uh, to thrive. That's kind of my philosophy, that government should listen to, to what folks are saying that they need. And as far as the rest is concerned, just get out of the way. So, you know, my, my top priority in going back to Jeff City next year is looking for more ways to open up pathways for collaboration and communication and understanding with one another and uh, to kind of overcome some of those political divides that inflame tensions on Twitter and achieve some meaningful results for our state. Awesome. We appreciate you joining us and taking the time out of your uh, your busy day and uh, out of your interim, because I'm sure uh, you just love thinking about Jeff City for those uh, that limited time that you have away from here. So I do. I am ready to go back. Oh, <laughs> you are very bold. Well, thanks again, and thank you, everybody, for listening to the Missouri Chamber Capital Chat.